Well, good morning. You guys want to go ahead and uh, get your, your Bibles out? We're going to be in, in John chapter 4 this morning. If you don't have a, a Bible, if you don't have a copy of God's Word uh, with you this morning, you can find one underneath a seat uh, in front of you or beside you or even the seat you're sitting in. If you don't own a copy of God's Word, if you don't own a Bible, you can write your name in that, that one, take it home with you. That's our gift to you this morning. And so as you're doing that, as you're getting your Bibles out... Uh, Today, we're going to open up a short four-week series on what we call the 4W Life. Now, if you were here with us last week, um, we kind of uh, gave you a little sneak peek at to what we're going to be doing the month of January as we look at this 4W Life. And if you've been with us a while through the church planting journey, then you know these four W's pretty well. We've been going over them time and time again over the last year and a half. But throughout this series, you're going to see them in a bit of a different light, right? Not just as a system to follow, but we're going to see in God's word where these commands come to form and what happens when we live out our lives as true disciples. And so if you're new with us, though, and you don't know what the 4W life is, right, these are all commands that come straight from God's word. And these are instructions on how we are to live as Christ followers, eagerly awaiting the return of our King, Jesus. Now, these are characteristics of a disciple of Jesus, of a follower of Jesus, right? A follower of Jesus has the characteristics of someone who worships Jesus, who walks with Jesus, who works for Jesus, and witnesses for Jesus. And so this morning... We're going to open up looking at that first W, that is worship. What does true biblical worship look like? Now, we as human beings, we're designed to worship. We're made to worship. Whether or not we worship God or we worship something of the world or something physical, we have a desire inside of us to worship. It's what we do. So today... As we walk through the text, line by line and verse by verse, we're going to see through a conversation that Jesus has with a woman at a well, the thirst of our soul to worship and how Jesus can eternally fulfill that thirst. So you all ready to get into God's word this morning? All right, let's get into it. Read with me here. John chapter four, starting in verse one, says this. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you... A Jew asked for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. 
that we're going to stop right there. All right, so this opening text, these first nine verses, they set the scene of what the Lord wants us to get from the Bible today. All right, Jesus and his disciples, they're walking from the region of Judea back to this area of Galilee where Jesus' ministry started. Now, between Judea and Galilee is a region called Samaria. And the fastest way back from Judah to Galilee is a road that cuts right through the middle of this region of Samaria. But there's an issue with that. As John states in the text, Jews hated Samaritans. They hated him so much, in fact, that instead of walking the fastest route through Samaria to get to the north, they would instead cross over the Jordan River to its eastern bank, and they would walk around Samaria as a whole. Like this would add like a day or more to their trip, but they didn't care. That's how badly they just disliked Samaritans. Now, Jews didn't talk to them. They didn't touch them. They didn't buy things off of them. They didn't worship the Lord with them. In fact, when the Jews would go to a market that had Samaritans in it, they would come home and ritually wash themselves because they had been in the same place as Samaritans. They despised them. And this hatred came from centuries back. All the way back in the Old Testament, when the Assyrian nation conquered 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel in the north. And, And when they did that, when the Assyrian nation came in, the king came in, he conquered these tribes in the north, they exiled most of the Jews. I kicked them out of their own land. And after they were conquered, the Assyrian king brought in men from Babylon, men from all over the world, pagan worshipers into the land of the Lord's people. And these non-Jews, these pagan worshipers, began to intermingle and intermarry with the Jewish women who were left over from the exile. And so after the exile was over, the majority of the Jews came back into their land that God had promised them, and they found there that the Jews who were left over were worshiping false gods. They were married to these pagan men, these pagan worshipers, and they they had turned away from the Lord. And now there was this mixed race of children, a people that they called Samaritans. And from this point forward, a bitter hatred between Jew and Samaritan formed and continued for hundreds of years until this point. So as we read in these first four, uh, I'm sorry, nine verses of chapter four, a woman comes up to Jesus, who is sitting alone at a well, and begins to draw water. And she is astounded when Jesus begins to talk to her. And she says, how is it that you, a Jew, would ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? What do you mean, give me a drink? I know you don't want me to touch your water. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Do you know who you're talking to? I'm a Samaritan woman. I'm a Samaritan woman, and not only do you want me to draw you water, but you want to drink from my cup? Jews and Samaritans, we don't share anything, especially a cup. So she's completely confused. The first encounter is shocking to her. She said, I don't understand. Why, why would you ask me for a drink? 
right? In your mind, I'm beneath you. But look how Jesus responds to her. Look how Jesus responds to her confusion. Read with me here, starting in verse 10. It says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Okay, now, so, so coming out of that, this woman is now fully confused. Right, first, a Jewish man is sitting at a well down the road from a major Samaritan city by himself, already weird. Then he begins talking to her. He asks her for a drink from her cup. And she questions him she, by responding. She says, why would you ask me for a drink? I'm a Samaritan woman. And Jesus responds to her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that you were talking to, you would say, give me a drink. You would have asked him for a drink and he would have given you living water. So now this woman's like, well, wait a second, wait a second. I thought you were the thirsty one and I have the bucket. This is our well. You're the thirsty one. Why are, you, why are you now saying that I should be asking you for a drink? You were just asking me for water. Now you're telling me if I knew who you were, I would, should be asking you for water. And what is this living water? How do you get this living water? You have nothing to draw water with. And then she asks the most impactful, important question of this entire text. She says, are you greater than our father Jacob. Right, are you greater than the man who God blessed with this well? Right, Jacob was blessed by the Lord. He was loved by the Lord. He gave this well to the people of the Lord. Are you greater than Jacob? Who are you talking about living water? Are you greater than the man that God gifted this well to? And church, as we think about worship, we have to ask ourselves this same question. Is Jesus greater? Is Jesus greater than anything else that we've ever known? Anything else in our world? Is Jesus greater? And Jesus answers that question for us in the next verse. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He says, you want to know if I'm greater? Whoever drinks of this well will have to come back to it. They will come back here time and time again to be quenched. But he says, if you taste the water that I have for you, 
you will never thirst for anything ever again. For all of eternity, you will never thirst. You will be quenched. And not only that, he says, I will make a spring of living water inside of you. I will make you the well. Jesus is telling her, you might have the bucket and you might have the well, but you're the thirsty one. When you drink of this water, you're going to be thirsty again. You have a thirst in your soul. And nothing on earth has been able to quench it fully. What he's talking about here is her salvation. This full-on spiritual and eternal cleansing or washing through Jesus that makes us righteous through him. And this spring that he's talking about is the Holy Spirit, a continual flow filling up and stirring in us who have it. When we have salvation through Jesus, we will never need anything else. Everything we need is inside of us. But notice that she still doesn't understand. She doesn't get it. She doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. She's still thinking about her physical need, her physical thirst. She tells Jesus, give me some of this water. I don't have to come back here again. I want to be quenched forever. I never want to thirst again. Give me some of the water that you have. And what Jesus does next is show this this Samaritan woman that not only is she physically thirsty, but she is spiritually parched as well. Look with me here in verse 16 through 19. It says this, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So Jesus here says, I'm going to show you how much you need my living water. Go call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. He says, I know. I know you don't have a husband. You've had five of them. And the dude you're laying with now, he ain't your husband. This woman is guilty of adultery. And we know from this text that this woman has been trying to quench this soul-aching thirst with relationships. Jumping from one man to the next, and yet she's still dying of thirst. Finding no satisfaction in anything of the physical world, Jesus has just exposed her greatest sin, her darkest sin, the shame that she's carrying. I notice as we read in verse six that this woman is at the well at the sixth hour. That's noon. She's at the well at noon during the heat of the day. During this time, most women, they would go to the well in the evening at the cool of the day. But this Samaritan woman is here when the sun's highest in the sky, bearing down on her. And she's doing this either out of shame for the way that she was living her life and she wanted to hide from the other women or out of rejection from the other women who may have been saying, we don't want you here, adulterer. We don't want you here. Either way, Jesus has just shown her by exposing her darkest sin struggle that what she is worshiping, it's not sustaining her. In fact, it's hurting her. 
And that's evident that though she has gone from man to man, now on her sixth relationship, husband to husband, she's still not satisfied. Though she's worshiping these relationships, they don't sustain her. Now let me ask you this, as you're sitting in your seat this morning, what do you worship? Who do you worship? And remember, we're designed to worship as a people. Human beings are designed to worship. We're either going to worship God or we're either going to worship things of the world. So what are you worshiping? Right, daily, we have to ask ourselves that question. What am I worshiping today? A relationship? Am I worshiping a, a house? Has my social status become my God? Am I worshiping money, popularity, my job? What thing of the world are you worshiping? Like we make all these physical things our gods and we worship them like they are our God. And Jesus is telling both this woman at the well and us today, these physical things that you're worshiping, they won't sustain you. Right? You have to come back to these wells every single day. They can't quench your thirst. You have to keep drawing from them. And though they may quench your thirst for a moment, they never last. They'll never quench your thirst fully. Stop coming back to them. But if you worship Jesus, you will never need anything ever again. When you make him the Lord of your life and worship only him, he will sustain you forever. That's what the text tells us today. That this woman has been going from man to man seeking something. She desires to be wanted. She desires to be loved. She wants to belong. And Jesus is sitting at this well in the heat of the day in a place where Jews avoid like the plague, telling her, I want you. I want you. Come to me. Remember, she just asked Jesus, Jesus if he was greater than her father Jacob and she discovered just now as he outs her sin that he is greater and her whole demeanor from this point of the narrative changes in verse 19 she says I think you're a prophet right I perceive that you are a prophet her entire demeanor has changed her physical need for water is gone and now she's she's changed her eyes have moved from her physical need, from her old well, to you're a man of God. Right, this random Jew she just met told her about all of her darkest sin struggles. And so she says, this must be a prophet of God. And so what's happened here is that she's acknowledged her sin. She has confessed it to a man who she perceives to be a prophet Look what her desire becomes now. Read with me here in verses 20 through 22. The Bible says this. She, she says, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, 
the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Now, notice when Jesus told this woman her sin, she did not lie or try to hide it. She doesn't try to defend herself. She recognizes that she is dealing with a man of God and that he's calling out a valid sin in her life. And so once it's out, her desire turns from getting to or being at that well, trying to thirst in her sin, trying to consume a physical need for her spiritual emptiness. Her desire turns instead to getting to a place where she can worship the Lord. A true repentance, walking away from the well and getting our eyes fixated on worshiping the Lord. Her desire is no longer to worship the things that she was worshiping. Worshiping, She wants to become a true worshiper of God now. And so she's like, you are obviously a man of God, right? You're a, you're a, a prophet. I perceive you to be a prophet. Tell me, man of God, where do I worship? Right, do I worship on this mountain like my ancestors did? Or do I have to go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord? They hate us there. We're Samaritans. They don't like us. Look at verse 23, what Jesus says, what Jesus tells her here in verse 23. It says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So Jesus tells her, the time has come where the true worshiper is no longer identified by where they are worshiping. Now the true worshiper is identified by who they are worshiping and how they are worshiping him. Now, spoiler alert, Jesus is getting ready to reveal that he is the one that this woman should be worshiping. In just a moment, he's going to do that. But now the question is, how do you worship How does the Bible tell us that we are to worship Jesus? Well, it says here, Jesus says here, that true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. And what does that mean, spirit and truth? What's it mean to worship Jesus in spirit and truth? Well, when Jesus says spirit here, he's referring to the human heart. This word here for spirit, it's not the Holy Spirit, but he's talking about this internal worship of the human heart. Now, up until this point, when the Jews would worship It was done physically on the outside with ceremonies and rituals of worship. And Jesus is calling here for true worshipers to worship in spirit. And this happens internally, not externally. I think about the first time we heard the gospel. If you've given your life to Jesus, there was a moment in your life where you heard and understood and accepted the gospel for the very first time. And it transformed your heart. And a heart transformed by the gospel of Jesus immediately begins to worship Jesus. I remember the night that I came to Christ, right? This big, tough guy got on my knees, tears rolling down my face, and I worshiped Jesus as Lord. It's our first heart response after we have been saved by his grace to worship him. And Jesus tells us here, true worshipers worship him internally. 
And not just internally, in the spirit, he also says that true worshipers worship in truth, in the truth of his word. Our worship is to be consistent with God's word. Right, we hear the truth of the gospel and of God's word, and we worship because of that revelation that's been given to us. Right? True, worshipers, true, true worship is backed with the truth of God's infallible word. Right, God's word tells us that Jesus is the Messiah. Right? We believe in the truth of that word, and so we worship him based on truth. And that's what we have to take home with us today. Right? The big idea of what Jesus is trying to get us to see here in John chapter 4 is that as disciples of Jesus, we are to worship him in spirit and in truth. And we are to do this every single day of our lives. And when we read his truth, when we put our, our faith in his truth every single day in his word, when we think about the gospel, which we should be swimming in every single day, it should lead us first to worship him. And look how the woman at the well responds to these words that Jesus tells her in verse 25. In verse 25, she says, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. She's stating here that you say we are to worship in truth. Well, one day the Messiah will come and, and we will know truth. Right? He will tell us the truth. We know, we will know all things in that day. And Jesus responds to her by saying, I who speak to you am he. Right? The truth has come. I am telling you the truth. And because of that truth, because I will take you a Samaritan adulterous woman who's filthy with sin, just like all of us, I will make you brand new and give you a living water that will sustain you forever. And in fact, I will make you a well of living water. He says, I am the Messiah. I am the truth. I am the one the scriptures have been pointing to. And as he says this, right, as he, as he reveals to her that he is the promised Messiah, look how she responds. Shoot down here to verse 28 with me, which says this. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And the people, they went out of the town and were coming to him. This Samaritan woman who was worshiping the desires of her flesh, trying to fill a void in her heart with physical desires, was told the good news by Jesus himself, and she walks away from the well and leaves her jar. And she no longer needs to come here. She no longer needs to come back to this well to sustain her any longer. She leaves behind the device in which she draws water with from this well. Because a spring of living water now is welling up inside of her. And she begins worshiping Jesus as Messiah. And as she does that, the people from this Samaritan city of Sikar, this town, begin flocking to see Jesus. Samaritans flocking to see a Jew. 
Like, can you imagine that? These people wouldn't even touch each other. And based on this woman worshiping Jesus as Christ, the Samaritans from the city begin to flock out to see Jesus. And when we worship Jesus in spirit and in truth, it has a radical effect on the lost. And now this woman is showing others who Jesus is. He is the Messiah and she's worshiping him. And it is leading these people in Samaria to worship Jesus as Christ. And so if you've given your life to Jesus and you're a disciple of his, we must worship Jesus in spirit and in truth every single day. Just like when we first heard the gospel and it transformed our hearts. We heard about how Jesus took on our sin, though he was innocent of sin, and he died on the cross because of his love for us. And we heard about how on the third day he rose to defeat sin and death so that we could live forever as righteous in God's eyes through his blood. He instilled in us a spring of living water. And our response to that every single time we hear the gospel is to worship him. From the deepest wells of our heart and in the truth of God's word, the gospel that we are given, our first duty as disciples of Christ, as we think about what it looks like to glorify Jesus is to worship him. And so if you're in this room right now and you follow Jesus for 50 days, 50 years, five hours, the very first thing that Jesus is calling you to do here is to hit your knees and worship him as Lord. That's what you need to hear from the text today. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. You can give your life over to Jesus today and begin worshiping today because all those other things that you've filled yourself with your entire life, all those physical things Jesus is telling us here in John chapter four, they cannot sustain you. Only I can sustain you. That's where our hearts need to be today. Whether we followed Jesus for years or this is the first day, we are all susceptible to worshiping other gods. Get your minds and your hearts daily on worshiping Jesus in spirit and in truth. So I wanna take some time together this morning and pray for that. So pray with me, church, please. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, for your gospel, for the truth of your word. And we ask as a church body today that you get our hearts first this week, every single day of our lives on worshiping you above all things. Lord, it's so easy for us to to find things, physical things, things of the world that tempt us to worship them, that we put our stock in, that we put our identity in, that we try to fulfill ourselves with. The truth of your word today, Lord, tells us that only you can fill the gaping thirst in our heart. So Lord, if there's anyone in here today, I pray, Lord, that that doesn't know you, but yet has filled themselves with what they think they need to quench the thirst that they have in their soul. Whether it's drugs or alcohol or sex or money, 
possessions, whatever it is, Lord, show them today through your word. You can give them a fulfillment. You can fulfill that hole in their heart forever. They'll never need another thing because they have you. Jesus, for the people in here who have followed you for years, we can be susceptible to this too, Lord. And so lead us, Father, to come back to you, to getting our eyes away from anything of the world that has tempted us over and get our eyes back on you, Jesus. That we can hit our knees and worship you as the Lord not these other physical things that can't sustain us. Lord, let us see today again, over and over again, your gospel. Let us hear your gospel. Let us swim in it every single day, Lord. Remind us, write it on our hearts today, God. As we leave here, as we walk out of this building this morning and as we go back into the world where temptation is everywhere, that we only see you as Lord of our lives. Father, be with us. Jesus, be with us. Let us walk with you step in step. Keep us with you, Lord. Keep our eyes on you so we can follow you as you've called us to follow you. Jesus, we love you. We praise you for everything you've done. We praise you for this word. We praise you for your gospel. You are holy and we love you. We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. Rock Bible Church, you are loved. You are sent. Have a great week.